0: Hello and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service in various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Perot with us. Dr. Perot is a PGY3 Family Medicine resident at Naval Hospital Jacksonville. Who had a two year GMO tour aboard the Iwo Jima? She will be sharing her GMO experiences with us today. How are you doing today, ma'am?
1: Doing awesome. I'm so excited to be on here with you today.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to hear about all of your experiences.
1: Oh, I mean, like as a resident still, my experiences are, you know, in the beginning of my military career, but I cannot say how much I have enjoyed the experiences I've had so far. I am so very excited for all of you guys to get to experience these things as soon as you get out in the fleet.
0: Awesome. We were so excited, too. So just to begin, could you tell us a little bit about
1: yourself? Where are you from? What medical school you attended? And any family life yeah. So I grew up actually in the South of France up until I was like 10 years old. And then my parents and my siblings, we all moved to Orlando in and Florida. And we've been down there ever since then. And I went to undergrad at UCF and then medical school up in Georgia at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine at their Georgia campus. Then I actually did a civilian internship Prior to my two year GMO tour, and now I'm back in residency at the Family Medicine Program here in Jacksonville. I do have a husband that we got married the fourth year of medical school, and we welcomed a son 16 months ago who was born at the end of my first year of residency here and we have a dog as well and we have absolutely like loved the Jacksonville area you know like being from Orlando and my husband's from St. Pete it's like close to home but not too close to home and there's plenty of things to be doing you know I think I'm a Florida person at heart and it's been absolutely wonderful to be here.
0: That's awesome thank you so much for sharing that. I do have a quick question about your civilian internship. Why did you decide to go civilian for your first year?
1: So I was actually matched into a military position. Um, but at that point in time, I mean this was quite a while, ago. it was in twenty fifteen, um, I had the opportunity to talk to the director of that residency. And we decided that I was not going to be a good fit at their program. And so what HPSP ended up doing is giving me a one-year contract NADS. So I was able to scramble into a civilian TY position that I did up in New Jersey. And from there, the next year, I just reapplied through mods and then got the GMO billet. Can you tell us a little bit about TY being transitional year? Oh, the TY year was amazing. I think for everyone who is a little bit on undecided into what you want to go into, which I think ultimately is what led to me going to family medicine, it's one of those things that you get to redo a lot of these rotations. So I really loved medicine as a whole, inpatient as well as outpatient. So I was able to do like three more months of inpatient medicine, and then delve a little bit into the same blocks that you would get in a traditional internship. So for family medicine. And we have PEDS, OB, general surgery, derm, ophthalmology. Those are all things that we do as your internship. And the TY just allows you to kind of like get a glimpse of those during that year.
0: Okay, awesome. And then did your credits pass over into your family med internship year?
1: So I was able to get three of my months approved to go into my family med residency. Since then, they've been approving up to six months of a different internship to accept it into the family med residency. So the three that I was approved for is general surgery. I was given an inpatient month as well as one of the elective months, which at our program is military medicine because of my GMO experience.
0: Okay, awesome. So just to clarify,
1: did you have to repeat your internship year or parts of it? Yeah, I definitely did. I had to repeat about nine months of my internship year.
0: Okay, and then how was that? Did you feel like it was worth it because then you were able to delve into each of the different specialties a little bit more?
1: I actually loved it because since I had not been at this program here in Jacksonville before, it gave me a really good understanding of the hospital, of the people I was working with before, you know, having the responsibilities of being a second year. It also, after a two year uh, tour on board the Iwo Jima, it just gave me a little bit of taste of what academic medicine was because. As much as I loved my GMO tour, it does leave you a little bit rusty as to academic medicine. And so being able to come back in slowly and not so much, you know, the fire hydrant method was really good for me. I needed that slow transition to go through. And I think a lot of people choose a TY so that you can give yourself the opportunity to go do a GMO tour, which ultimately gives you more points. And when they do the selection process, the second time you go around, especially in these competitive specialties, is giving you an advantage. And you just have to make sure that you're using that time wisely when you go do your GMO tour. So you don't come back like just completely rusty.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question, which is what led you to pursue a GMO tour? Was it to get more points for your application when you then reapply for residency?
1: Not exactly. So I was I think even at the end of med school, I was somewhat burnt out. I don't think I knew it at that time, but now being able to look back, you know, from the point of step one and then to step two, I was never, you know, a very high achieving on board scores. And I think that took a huge toll on me because you know, for my entire life, I'd been super good at academia. And then finally realizing that I had maybe hit like the peak of my intelligence or whatnot, was a very hard thing to come to terms with. And so as soon as I finished my internship, well, pretty much as soon as I started my internship, I knew that I needed a break to come back and find out what my love for medicine initially had been so that I could continue on uh, this career path. And so those two years as a GMO were absolutely the best thing that could have happened for me. It gave me that hiatus from scholastic medicine and just the constant fire hose of being around people who are very high achieving. Not that the people in the fleet aren't high achieving, but they're in different fields. And so it opened my eyes to other careers that were out there. And it allowed me to develop, honestly, a method of communication with people other than doctors. It just gave me back a portion of my humanity that I feel like I had lost in the process of the four years of medical school.
0: Wow, that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that a lot of us feel that. Like a lot of us feel burned out, but we don't want to appear vulnerable to our peers, right? Because we see everybody else in there. We're like, yeah, they look totally fine. They're killing it. Everybody's doing a great job. People are really enjoying this. But even if we're struggling, We tend to give that off as well. So it's like everybody is secretly struggling and they don't share that with others. So I really appreciate your honesty sharing that.
1: Oh yeah, like wellness has been one of my missions pretty much since I came back from my GMO tour. I'm part of the wellness committee here at the residency. And my ultimate goal is to create a culture of wellness around being a resident. You know, long gone are the days where I think medicine needed to be about like hazing and just proving that you're superior to somebody else, you know, and I think this leads into the concept of leadership. I think what it means to be a leader and what it takes to be a leader has very much grown over the last, 10 years. And I've also seen, you know, people that were in leadership positions that were not leaders, as well as people who are not in leadership positions, who I consider them to be true leaders to the core of them. And it's about developing people and making them well enough that they can pass that wellness, not only pass it, but be able to teach other people how to be well themselves. I think it's such a important concept, like let's preserve the people that are working hard, the people that are making a difference so that they can keep making that difference in their day-to-day life.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you. And thank you for being a part of that and a part of change for good. I think that really every residency program should have that and, and needs to have that because i haven't under it yet myself, but I have heard that it is very tough. It gets a little bit better every year
1: but it's still challenging for sure. I've had, you know, my, my heart hurts for our new interns that came in this year. You know, they came into a new residency during the pandemic and the military had very, stringent restrictions on where we were and were not allowed to go so up until I want to say like two weeks ago uh, all of our residents were not allowed to leave within 50 miles of Jacksonville so for every single intern that had you know not been from the local area they were kind of alone here and so we tried as hard as we could to have all these fun events to (laughs) get them to know the people in the residency so that they started seeing you know, their second and third years as their family. Because as much as we can't replace you know, their real true families, they needed to know that there were plenty of people that they could turn to in periods of hardship.
0: That is awesome. Thank you so much for doing that for them. Going back to GMO and I guess like the Navy and the military in general, did you join knowing that you wanted to do a GMO or was it just something that you considered later on during your medical career?
1: So when I joined the military, I think I was very wholly unaware of what it meant. And I think, I mean, a lot of people that I have talked to that joined at around the same time as me, you know, I think we just went to see a recruiter and they sold us on all these great things. And then we kind of went through medical school and nobody told us much and then it come out and all of a sudden, I have to make decisions about my military career. I was lucky in the sense that my father was a military officer. He was a line officer in the Army. And so I knew somewhat what the commitment of military life was, but I had no idea of the commitment that a medical military life was going to be. Once I heard about GMO tours, I thought it was the greatest thing. One, like I told you, like from a mindset point of view, I needed a break from medicine. And two, I've always... in my heart of hearts, wanted to be like a small country dock, and it just felt like a GMO tour was that opportunity for me, except on a ship, but with limited resources and just finding a good mix of creativity and medicine in an austere environment was just amazing.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your day-to-day life on the ship? Yeah. Also, sorry to backtrack a little bit Did you want to specifically be a doctor on a ship or did you apply
1: for other GMO scores? No, I specifically wanted to be a doctor on a ship. I was not interested in flight medicine, which may sound completely ludicrous to some people because flight docs have a, a love for what they do. But I wanted to be on one of those ships. I'd never been on a ship near the size that the USS Iwo Jima was Um, and I picked it very specifically because on that ship you have two doctors so I was the GMO and I had two awesome SMOs during my time there who were both family medicine doctors who actually trained out of Jacksonville as well and they kind of sold me on the residency program there but it was such a massive ship I mean like We had at least 2000 people on that ship. You know, we had a medical department that had four working ORs. We had an ICU that was 15 beds. We had a ward of like 40 beds. I had up to 22 corpsmen working with us, you know, It was just an insane amount of capacity that we had. If you look in terms of military ships, we had a bigger medical department than even an aircraft carrier had. We were comparable to like one of the hospital ships apart from that we really didn't have a CT scanner. So we had a lot of opportunities to practice great medicine, which is what I loved, but I also had like close supervision if I ever needed help because it is such a daunting fact that, you know you finish an internship which i mean you learn some during internship but you never feel prepared for that first time that you see your patient on your own without anybody to discuss it with you know so that was a really great experience in learning what kind of medical practice i wanted to do but my day-to-day routine on the ship was pretty much i showed up to the ship at 6:30 we had sick call sick call is like any sailors can come in to see you for any reason that they have. So between 6.30 and 8.30, I would see sick call. Sometimes I would see 10 people. Sometimes I would see like 30 to 40 people. And this is where like your corpsmen are your greatest assets. I had trained some wonderful corpsmen that could triage my patients depending on severity of whatever illness they had. And so no matter what, I knew that the patients that I was seeing were usually the sickest ones. And then usually after 8.30, I had slotted appointments that were 30 minutes apart that I would see patients up until 11, and then I would have lunch And designated PT time. So that lunch was from 11 to noon, noon to one was designated PT. And then at noon, I would start back my appointments up until usually two or three. And then I had admin time every day. Admin time could take a little bit longer or a little bit less depending on the connectivity that you had on the ship. So, being that you were on a ship, like your internet was not always the greatest. So, sometimes I had to go to the branch clinic to get most of my work done and and, uh, documented but that was just one of the perks, you know, of being on ship is that I had close working relationships with most of the providers that were on shore so that they could help me out in these situations. Okay, awesome. Was the ship docked or did you ever set sail during your time? Yeah. with the Yeah, so my orders to the ship were two years and out of those 24 months we were gone at sea for 18 months. So we were docked in port for maybe six months and then the rest of the time we did two humanitarian tours during the hurricane to Haiti as well as Key West. We did a six-month deployment to the Middle East. We went to Jordan, Israel, Cyprus, We had some fun stops in Spain, and then we did a lot of small workups. So usually the six to eight months before deployment are called workups, and you do a lot of, you know, Two weeks out, you come back in for a week. Two more weeks out, you come back in for a week. The thing is, because we are based out of Jacksonville, Florida, every time a hurricane came close to Florida, the ship had to get underway to prevent getting damages during the hurricane. So that is definitely one of the things that I did not know. I didn't realize when I signed on to BGMO that I was going to be away that often. But in hindsight now, I would not have changed that experience whatsoever.
0: How was it when you were underway? Um, Like how was ship life in
1: general? Ship life is the best thing. I am the type of person on my day-to-day basis that I hate driving to work and stuff. So there's no better commute. I mean, you wake up, my, my stateroom was like maybe a hundred feet from the gym. You know, the wardroom where you eat was maybe like 10 steps from my stateroom. I could do my laundry within there. You know, if I forget something in my room when I'm at work, it's like, it takes me two seconds to come back upstairs. It was just working at the peak of your efficiency without, you know, loss of time in transit, no loss of time like cooking or going grocery shopping. You know, everything that you had to do was so minimal that you could spend a lot of your time working which can be exhausting because your schedule is working seven days a week for six months on a deployment. So to prevent burnout, like the ship has plenty of like fun activities to do. So they would have like bingo every Saturday night. Like they would try to stay on a circadian rhythm of activities so that pretty much the entire crew was looking forward to something every single week. And then me being me, like I made sure that my corpsmen in the medical department were just always well Taken care of. I always had like you know candy for them to to delve into. I every holiday that we were out, which was like Easter, Cinco de Mayo, Fourth of July, I decorated the entire department as best as I could. I mean, I'm surprised I had any documents in my office because all of it was pretty much filled with decor. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I just have a few simple
0: questions. As a physician on shift, do you share a room?
1: Yes. So I was the junior medical officer on the ship. So I shared a room actually with the dentist on the ship, which was wonderful because my office and her office used to be like next to each other. And then we slept in the same room together um, and we just got along so well. So it worked out great. And she had actually ended up being my roommate when we came back and lived in my house for a little bit. It was just a wonderful wow. experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean- it could have been like disastrous if we didn't get along, but it went by flawlessly. And then the senior officer, so that was my SMO, he had his own stateroom. So he had his own stateroom with his own bathroom that was in all the department head, pretty much P way on the ship. I shared a bathroom with all the female officers on the ship. So there was probably... 12 female officers and we had one bathroom with two showers and two actual toilets but in your own stateroom you have your individual desk you have your individual closet and you have a sink to brush your teeth and like you know Do your nighttime routine if you need to. And then there was a like little area where we had a TV so we could watch TV. And when I say watch TV, it's not like we had access like cable or anything. It's shipped TV. So whatever they decided that they were going to be playing or we had a DVD player that we could play movies on.
0: Oh my gosh, DVD players are bringing me back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Actually, the TV, when I got into my stateroom initially, had a cassette player like attached to it. And I was like, "Uh, what do I do with this? (laughs) Wow. How was the internet on the ship? So... The internet is not equal for all. So they determine your need for internet capacity based off of your job. So my job as the GMO, I needed internet all the time because I had to have access to -to up-to-date. I had to be able to communicate with other doctors or hospitals or whatnot when we were underway. So I had access to internet pretty much all the time. Usually everyone on the ship only has access to internet from 11 a.m. to midnight. And so your connectivity decreased a lot starting at 11 a.m. So if I had anything, documents that I needed to get out or communications, I tried to do it in the morning most of the time. And then the internet was very unreliable because you are in the middle of the ocean most of the time. So it can get tough. I was definitely able to get emails in and out easily, but that was about it. So like as a communication back home, you know, you can't have like a webcam or anything. So you are communicating solely through um, online messaging and They don't like for you to use anything like Facebook uh, or anything like that for the possible release of like private information about location of where the ship was. And then uh, the rest of the time was really phone communication and phone communication can be tough. It also depends on the weather conditions sometimes. And then if we're doing certain exercises, the ship turns off all outward communication off of the ship. So that's what we call river city. And at that point you have zero contact with the outside world. And then
0: how was it with your family? Did you struggle not being able to communicate with them as well as you normally would, or was it manageable?
1: It was definitely manageable. I was lucky because I had my own office and my phone in my office had an out communicating line. So I could call very Frequently, I would call my husband at least every other day to let him know how things were, were doing. Not everyone has that luxury. And so that's definitely something that you need to be mindful of. Your corpsmen and all your enlisted sailors don't have the luxury of a personal phone that they can use. So I would let them use it whenever they needed it to call their families. They never abused of this whatsoever. They completely understood that this was a luxury to them. It was hard being away for six months. Actually, the military has these amazing courses that you can do before deployments about teaching you and your spouse or your significant others about the hardship with communication during a deployment and just trying to get you ready with the tools of succeeding in deployment. And so me and my husband actually did that course beforehand. And then during the deployment, we had an amazing chaplain on board the ship that would do little counseling lessons and just trying to help you move through issues that Honestly, most of them are communication issues that you have with your loved ones back home. And so it was really nice to have that constant support to know that people were rooting for you to be succeeding so you could come back home to the life that you left before without having so much disruption in that life. How was
0: it going back home? Because when my stepdad... Um, Both my mom and my stepdad have deployed, and when they come back, I feel like there's a little bit of a transition period where you're like, oh, wait, things have kind of gone back to where they were, but it's not quite the same. How did you deal with that?
1: It was rough at first. I definitely remember coming back from deployment and realizing that the world had gone on without me, and that was a very strange feeling, but I've had that feeling before in medical school, actually, when... Mm -hmm. I went to medical school for the first like six months. I remember coming back home for the Christmas holidays and realizing that all my friends back home had, you know, their lives had moved on even when I wasn't there. And it, it hurts a little bit. Right. But that people weren't just sitting and wallowing in tears waiting for you to come home, I guess. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, I, I wouldn't want it any different. I have a very independent husband who was able to hold down the fort, which I would I feel very fortunate about that. but it was hard coming back. And on, on two fronts, one was I had complete sea legs. So I felt like my house was moving continuously for like two weeks oh, no. after I got home. <laughs> but then on an emotional basis of like finally being close to someone again, you know, like I, I had wonderful friends on the ship, you know, we would hug a fish like, you know, when we needed, but I just had gone through six months without really close touching even though I was in close proximity with everyone you know and it was weird to to let someone be close again and opening up back up again and that's where all of these classes that the military puts together are so important because they know that these are the small little things that put you off right because I know that my husband on one side was so excited about me coming back and he couldn't wait for me to be there and all that was on my mind was like oh my god what if something's changed And so they're very good at tuning into those mindsets so that the transition home is as flawless as possible. Okay, that makes sense. So you
0: would recommend people take those classes prior? Yes, for sure, for sure. Okay. And then how were, you mentioned that you work seven days a week, every week, unless you're visiting Jordan or Israel or Spain or wherever uh, the ship had docked for a couple of days. How were your hours
1: on the ship when it was underway? So my hours on the ship were very similar to the hours I had when we were back home. With the one big difference, when we deployed, we took on a lot of extra doctors. So we were a total of six doctors. And so we had a rotating schedule of who was on call for night call. And night call was more of a phone type of call than anything else. So you would still be able to be in your room. You didn't have to be in the medical department. It's just that the corpsman who were downstairs and awake at night they knew who to call if anybody came in during the night for any specific issues there's also incidences of medical emergencies and medical emergencies are called over the 1MC so they are called over the entire ship so if there was ever a medical emergency everyone would hear it and every single person from the medical department had to go back to the department to make sure that everything was okay. And the patient that was being brought in didn't need more capacity medically than what was available.
0: And then what types of things would you see during those medical emergencies?
1: So some of them were really bad. So including people passing out, but it is not a safe environment. Uh, The ship is a very industrial environment. There's pipes sticking out, you can go down ladder wells, there's plenty of things to hit your head on. So most of them were people falling and hurting themselves. We had an incident where a kid and I call them a kid, they're 18 year olds, you know, (laughs) um, they're in the boiler room in the engine, he fell and he fell approximately like 25 feet inside of a space that is full of pipes hanging out and he was completely unconscious at the bottom. And so, you know, there's a two part problem there is, how do I assess for scene safety for me to go see this patient down in this little crevice? And how do I get this patient out of that little crevice? And it is amazing the amount of work that your corpsman will do to bring out these patients to bring them to the medical department. And everybody knows the hierarchy of safety, right? You need the doctor to be as safe as possible. So the corpsman will take a lot of that initial brunt of work by getting the patient out, and it's amazing the amount of knowledge that your corpsman have and how they are able to stabilize a patient initially. It is a night and day. The my understanding of what a corpsman was before and what I came out of that ship, understanding that their capabilities were, they are literally, I, I considered them my intern. I told them all the time, I'm like, you work on the level of an independent provider most of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. You discussed those emergency situations. What were the typical problems that you would see from patients on the ship? So
1: typical problems other than emergencies, a lot of day-to-day like runny nose, just chronic issues, but there is also a lot of mental health issues that we were dealing with. Luckily on the ship during the deployment, we were augmented by the fleet surgical team who came on with a psychiatrist as well as a psych tech. And so we had resources to get our sailors help pretty fast. We had a civilian kind of therapist. He's a fleet support therapist. And so he did a lot of counseling on the ship as well. And then we always have the resources of the chaplains that were always willing to help out and counsel some of our sailors. Those were, I would say, the most critical ones, just because most of the sailors that are on the ship are 18-year-old, you know, just graduated from high school, wanted to do something with their lives and join the military. But there's a lot that entails to joining the military and leaving for six months without communication of back home and being in a sardine box with, you know, 2,000 other people. There's a lot of stressors. And the work schedule during a deployment is very much not conducive to wellness when you think that you're working seven days a week for six months at a time. So a lot of it was just coaching them and telling them that this was something very much that they can do and trying really a lot of times I did feel like I was mothering more than doctoring because they just wanted to know that somebody was on their side and that they understood, like somebody understood that they were going through this hardship and that they could do it.
0: Okay. And sorry to ask this, but I feel like this is a stereotype that there are a lot of sexually transmitted diseases. Did you find that during your experience?
1: There were definitely some, the great thing about the LHDs is that I had a PrevMed tech. So I had a corpsman that took care of all of those. So they usually never came to me because my PrevMed tech would do the evaluation on the patient and would order all the lab tests. And pretty much my job was signing the prescription and just making sure that the patient was appropriately counseled on safe practices. But In a population of mostly 18 to 25-year-olds, I was not overwhelmed by the amount of STIs uh, cases that I had on the ship.
0: Okay. And then only if you're comfortable answering this, how is the pay of a GMO? Do you get paid more when you're
1: on deployment like other personnel do? Yeah, so being a GMO, you have a lot of incentives. So you get C pay, which until you've been at C more than two years is hundred dollars a month, and then you get the GMO pay, which was right around a twenty thousand dollar bonus that was added on top of your base pay. The great thing is that with military base pay, you get a pay bump after usually a year, then after two years, then after four years. So you continuously get these little pay increases during your GMO tour, which are very nice. Okay. And then
0: did that end up decreasing once you went back to residency?
1: Yes, it 100% did decrease. So, my I think the GMO bonus was around $18,000. When I came back to residency, I was getting $8,000 as a resident as my like residency pay. And also, something I didn't mention before when I was on deployment, because we were in a hazardous zone, all my pay became tax free which was very, very nice because for about four out of those six months, my entire salary was tax-free and I was able to put money in my TSP tax-free and you were able in a hazardous zone to put more money towards your TSP than you would regularly. So you can max out your TSP up to, I think, $54,000.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And then what did you like about your tour and is there anything that you didn't
1: like? Oh, gosh, I cannot say that there was one thing that I absolutely loathed about it. I had a very open mindset when I came onto the ship. I knew that I knew nothing about the military because I had just come from a civilian internship. And I think people really took that on positively. I was willing to learn everything that they had, whether it was about medicine or the military or any department that were on the ship. And they really liked that attitude. I would do it again, a hundred times over, even though I was far away from my family for a long period of time. And even now with a child, like my goal is to continue operational medicine and to take care of my sailors in the fleet.
0: How does one do that after residency? I was told that it's possible, but it's definitely harder to get a position like that because they
1: want to give those positions to lower ranking physicians. So you have plenty of operational billets that exist in the military that can be used during your utilization tour, which is your first tour out of residency. You wouldn't have one as a GMO, but there are things like the fleet surgical team, which was that medical team that augmented us during deployments. They are usually made up of four to five doctors, and they usually have a family med doc, a surgeon, a psychiatrist, and the OIC, who can be pretty much any specialty. But they come onto the ship whenever we were really underway. So you have opportunities like that that exist. And then you have operational opportunities with the Marines on the green side to do some battalion medical work. So As to being a GMO, you can't do that as of now after residency, but there are other billets such as a SMO that you can hit later on in your career as leadership building opportunities. Okay, perfect.
0: And was it challenging to put your residency on hold? I know you mentioned earlier that it was the best thing you could have done. It helped give you a break after being burned out. Um, But was it challenging going back into your residency and into that fire hose?
1: Yeah, it was. It was much tougher than I thought it was going to be, completely honest. Because those two years on the ship, I developed pretty much what I consider my practice of medicine. And I was very comfortable. But I was very comfortable treating patients who were 18 to 25 with minimal chronic illnesses. So coming back to residency was definitely a learning curve again. I had no more steps to study for. And so going back to learning reading journals and answering CME questions and having to answer to attendings was something that I had lost practice of. It's not something that you can't relearn by any means, but I was very shocked at how much time it took for me to get back into the practice of academic medicine. Now that it's been two years since I've been back, I mean, it's a flawless transition I think that has happened, but it was definitely a source of stressors when the first like three to six months. Okay.
0: And that makes sense, right? Because you are very much practicing on your own when you're out there and you have um, corpsmen underneath you. So you're in that leadership position and then you come back and you're at the you know bottom again, like you said, answering to attending.
1: Yes. Yes. And luckily, like coming back to a military program, They understand that dilemma, right? Most of my attendings here at JAX have done GMO tours themselves, so they know how hard it can be coming back. And so they were very gracious with me and full of good ideas about how I could help myself in succeeding at their program.
0: Okay. And did you feel like the GMO tour gave you maybe a newfound respect for the military, for the Navy, for what we're doing?
1: 100%. I mean, treating your active duty members is, I think, the reason why most of us go into it. Residency makes it hard because you're seeing mostly dependents. And so, I mean, like I told you, I cannot wait to go back to the fleet. I loved learning about all the rates of enlisted and senior enlisted and your fellow line officers, like the jobs that they have. I mean, working on these ships that are so large and so advanced technologically, it was just an an amazing experience. I keep contact with a lot of my civilian friends from uh, medical school and my first internship. And I remember when I took some of them onto the ship and they Nobody had been on a ship that large or that had that capacity. It's truly amazing the work that you can do in military medicine on a ship in the middle of nowhere and the amount of resources that you have at your fingertips, you know, as to getting a patient out or the network that military medicine has already set for itself.
0: Do you feel like you were able to do more things independently while you're on the ship in comparison to residency?
1: Yes, 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 yes. I was definitely um, a much more independent provider at that point in time, but that's the way that the Navy has meant for GMO tours to be. You are supposed to be a independent practitioner as like an old-time GP kind of. Coming back to residency, a lot of that autonomy goes away in the sense that you are constantly being evaluated um, at your skills. And I think it's something very valid. Looking back, the knowledge that I had after just one year of internship was insufficient for the amount of treatment that I could have needed to do during that time. Because as much as I said, like, I was treating 18 to 25-year-olds. Most of your officers and senior enlisted leaders, they are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and most of them had very chronic issues. So that's where I was fortunate that I had a senior medical officer that really helped me through understanding the care of chronic medical issues. Okay. And
0: that also helped you when you did go back to your residency, and you do have to deal with that, especially family medicine. That's exactly. a big part of it, right? Yep. Okay. We only have time for a couple more questions. So what advice do you have for students choosing to go the same route?
1: Keep an open mind. Like, I think a lot of medicine, we don't dictate our paths because you have to follow certain things, you know, like you have to apply at this stage in the game in order to get accepted to this school. And then you take these specific classes this is an opportunity for you to be creative, right? You keep your mind open to all the information that people are going to be giving you. And as you become more curious to their department or their way of life on the ship, they will become more curious to what you do. Because a lot of times medical is this, mystical place on a ship that people either never want to go near or are there a little bit too often. So I would just say, keep your mindset as open as possible to the opportunities that will come inevitably on a ship.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And my final question is, are there any pitfalls that we should avoid if we do decide to
1: do a GMO tour
0: or any big lessons that you learned outside of what you've spoken about thus far.
1: Okay. So big lessons learned from my GMO tour is there is no better time than right now for you to start learning how to be a leader. I think I we touched on this briefly, like the definition of a leader has very much evolved over the last, the last 10 years into what it means and what it takes to be one. I think being a GMO was my first true opportunity of leadership. And I don't think I was ready for that aspect. I felt like I wasn't ready for the medical component of it. And I never even really thought about the aspect that I had now 20 corpsmen that were working with me. And so I would take a look in your environment, see the people who are in leadership positions that you consider to be a leader, because we know plenty of people in our environment who are in leadership positions that are not leaders. Emulate those traits that they have. See what you really love about it and how you want people to be seeing and perceiving you. Communication is definitely one of the most important keys that I would say when you are working with a diverse background of people that are there with you. And so never close any doors. And I'm sure most of you guys have listened to the Hamilton Broadway. Talk less, smile more. I cannot say something any truer. Before making your position and opinion announced, I would definitely say take a step back, give yourself 24 hours, because some of those people and those corpsmen that are working with you will take to heart very literally a lot of the things that you say. So just don't back yourself in a corner. Make sure that you are open and inviting to people and that they know that you are dependable. Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you for that advice. And that wraps
0: up our episode with Dr. Perot today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. And thanks for tuning in.